Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Welcome to SLP Coffee Talk, the podcast designed exclusively for speech-language pathologists who work with older students, grades 4 through 12. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, your SLP behind Speech Time Fun, the Speech Retreat Conference, and the SLP Elevate Membership. And I'm thrilled to bring you conversations, strategies, and insights that will give you the jolt of inspiration that you need. Whether you're tuning in during your morning commute, on a break in between sessions, or even during a well-deserved relaxation time, I am here for you each and every week. Let's do this, SLPs. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Today, I have Hat Richardson here talking all about neurodiversity and a lot of all that fun stuff. So welcome, Hat, to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on. Tell everyone a little bit about you and, you know, how you got to what you are doing here today. Yeah, so I initially started out as a speech therapist, which I think is a different term to what is used in the US, speech pathologist. And I kind of went in initially into uh, social, emotional, mental health schools. I just like to dive into the deep end straight away. And I worked with a lot of neurodivergent children and those with mental health difficulties. And I kind of really resonated a lot with their experiences. And so finally, at the age of 26, I received an autism diagnosis and since then have self-identified as ADHD as well. So yeah, there's lots been happening, but now I kind of, I've changed how I work. I'm now self-employed and I do kind of uh, post-diagnosis support, autism assessments, all from like a neurodiversity affirming lens. So it's really exciting and I'm looking forward to getting my teeth stuck in just a little bit more. That's amazing. I love it that due to what you've been experienced in your journey as a speech therapist, you know, you had an eye-opening experience about yourself and now you're using what you've learned to help so many others. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's so much of the time people will say to me, well, how, how didn't you know? Because I was a speech therapist before I knew. And in the UK, we aren't taught often about what autism looks like across different 
genders and well, just lots of different diverse presentations. So yeah, it's difficult to tell until you actually meet and interact with other autistic people. I know you talk often about like a post-diagnosis handbook because like that, I'm sure after receiving the diagnosis, there was a lot of struggles and things you had to learn. Can you talk a little bit about that? You kind of don't get handed anything. I don't know whether it's it's different in the US, but you know, when you kind of get your diagnosis, uh, somebody just gives you the report and a few recommendations and there's not really anywhere to look. So in my mind, I set out on this journey of just thinking, right, I'm going to make something that can kind of support other, other people that have gone through this and are going through this. And so, yeah, I developed a post-diagnosis handbook. Initially, it was to sort of support late diagnosis, but now it's just, it kind of spread a little bit more and it's more for kind of everybody, whether they're going through the diagnostic process, whether they're starting to identify that they're neurodivergent themselves, kind of families supporting children. So yeah, there's lots of different uses for it, but it's just kind of a collection of my experiences, really kind of my own knowledge as a professional as well, just to kind of give a bit of an overview of what autism is and what you might experience and how you might see the world. So in that regard, it's quite handy for professionals to have a read through as well to kind of learn from lived experience. And I can imagine it being very helpful for parents and families, educators, whoever is working with any individual who's currently getting a diagnosis. I'm sure there's a lot of just overwhelm and uncertainty and questions that everyone's having. So this can be so helpful for any SLP listening, experiencing a family going through the first diagnostic experience and saying like, now what? So this is a great reference and tool based on your own experience and what you wished you had. Can you share like maybe yeah. like some feedback you've gotten from it? I've had a, quite a few people send me some reviews, which has been lovely. And a lot of the people actually said that they really liked the sort of workbook style to it. So I know having an ADHD brain, I will read something and I won't retain it unless I'm kind of doing something with that information. So I've kind of put in little boxes of like, share your experience of this or kind of doing a few activities. One of them is around like autistic masking and creating your own mask on one of the pages. Uh, so like a little bit of drawing and creativity and things like that. So I think it's very much, it's got a lot of information in there, but it's also really practical. And I think that's what people liked a lot. And just generally kind of the the strengths-based aspect to it. So I use neurodiversity affirming terminology across everything that I do. And I think it's been really refreshing for people to, you know, instead of going on Google straight away and seeing all this really awful stuff about what autism is in research and in the media, it's more actually, well, here we go. Let's let's celebrate this. We're not getting a, a diagnosis and it's the end of the world and it's a horrible thing. And it's not. It's a difficult thing, but it's something that also we need to be celebrating too. I love that. For someone listening who might not be as familiar, can you explain a little bit more of this masking and how you explain how like you're teaching and educating others on how does it feel? What does it look like? Can you go a little bit more into that? Yeah, so funnily enough, I actually did a, a big presentation on this yesterday. So yeah, I feel well equipped to talk to you about that. 
masking is uh, kind of the concept of suppressing neurodivergent traits uh, such as stimming or kind of avoidance of eye contact, extensively talking about passions, and just basically suppressing that to appear neurotypical, to appear like everybody else and blend in. And sometimes masking is a conscious decision of I'm in a workplace, I'm going to mask, I'm going to, you know, kind of appear like everybody else. But then also sometimes it's automatic and it's not something that we have control over. So it can be a trauma response, sort of like a survival mechanism, because a lot of neurodivergent people will experience bullying and isolation and rejection amongst other traumatic experiences. So there's kind of two sides to masking for that. And I would suggest to anybody listening to go and have a read of this amazing book that's just come out called Autistic Masking. And it's by researchers Kieran Rose and Amy Pearson. And it's just amazing in explaining masking and kind of why it occurs. Thank you. I'll definitely have to link that in the show notes to anyone interested in checking that out. Because that's really a great way for us to understand what our students are going through on a daily and what we should be expecting of them and encouraging of them. Can you explain a little bit, what should we be encouraging our students to do instead? I mean, one of the things that I said yesterday at this presentation was that if we've got a student that has come for therapy and they're making more eye contact, actually the internal experience for that person might be that it's really distressing. And although they're doing it more, is that really progress that we're looking at? Because internally, they're distressed. So instead of those kind of things, it's more about looking at the quality of life for that person. What do they want to work on? What do they want to get better at? What do they perceive are their skills, their needs? Because a lot of the time, we don't actually know what another person experiences internally and what will help them in their lives. So for me, I absolutely love doing work around kind of energy management. So how much energy do I have in a day and what can I do with that energy? So instead of working on time, I work in energy and just kind of like energy accounting type kind of things, but also self-advocacy. Self-advocacy is so key and so many, I mean, autistic people were just really bad at self-advocacy for many, many different reasons. We are chronic people pleasers and really self-advocacy doesn't always look polite. It's something, you know, about we are direct communicators quite naturally, a lot of us. And it's about kind of embracing those communication differences and educating both neurotypical people and neurodivergent people about those communication differences. So there's so many other things we can do. I love it. So I find so often we're so set in our ways because ways we were taught in graduate school, ways that other professionals around us are maybe not neuro versus approaching uh, practices and we fall stuck. And I'm sure many of will be listening might feel that way. And like there's other approaches that are going to do more for your students and have a bigger impact than just doing what you've done for many, many years. So thank you. There's so many times that people will say, well, if not social skills training, then what do I do? You know, they're really struggling to make friends or get involved with social activities. What do I do instead of social skills training? So it's just nice to know that there are so many other options out there. Mm -hmm. 
We don't need to have a goal for conversation turn-taking on an undesired topic. Like, is that really appropriate for that child? Like, no, no. That's going to be more stressing, more unappealing, and not appropriate. So thank you. You mentioned about strength-based approaches. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, with working on strengths-based approaches, it's not necessarily discounting the need that is there. A lot of the time, for me, what, what I tend to do is work to support the person to develop compensatory strategies. So I know that I am absolutely terrible at math. I think I've always been terrible at math. And so I had to learn different ways of learning math that wasn't kind of the the typical way to learn it. So I would then have to develop my strengths to support my needs. So now I do a lot of things like I never do mental maths, ever, ever, ever. (laughs) So I, you know, I will use calculators and I will write things down and to kind of problem solve maths type things, everything gets written down, absolutely everything. So I draw upon my strengths of visual learning and by writing to support kind of doing horrible, horrible invoices and things like that. So it's very much, yeah, drawing on the strengths of the person and their perceived strengths as well. So not necessarily what I perceive as their strengths, but what they see is something that's really, really helpful for them. And just kind of supporting that person to understand their strengths is a huge part of that as well. I mean, I didn't know my strengths until I understood my own neurodivergent identity. And now I'm like, oh, I've got so many things going for me. I can, you know, do this and I can do that. And and that will support this area of the need that I have. So yeah, in in a kind of nutshell, that's generally how I work in terms of strengths-based stuff. Are there any tools or approaches you like to use to help students figure that out for themselves? I love using talking maps basically just sort of like a visual categorization activity. So I've never really figured out until recently why I liked it so much. But then I started sort of use them a lot in uh, autism assessments. And the kids were saying to me, oh, this is just great because I don't have to look at you. You know, I'm categorizing things. I love categorizing. I don't have to look at you. I don't have to kind of, you know, it's, it scaffolds a conversation. It's a visual thing. It really, really supports. So yeah, things like that are amazing. I also love just basically anything that is written. So when I'm talking to a young person and we're having a conversation about something, I write everything that we're talking down on a piece of paper just to kind of help because I know my working memory is terrible. I really need support around that. And a lot of the young people that I work with do really struggle with working memory. So it's something that is, you know, visual, it's there. It's something that we can reflect back on and summarize afterwards. Just a lot of things that visual, I think, is awesome for neurodivergent fight. That's amazing. Can you talk a little bit about using AEC use as a semi-speaking person? This is quite, I mean, I was having a discussion with someone about this the other day and it's quite a difficult one to get your head around. (laughs) So there is some research that's coming out at the minute around kind of semi-speaking experiences and using AAC. Personally, I've always really struggled to access speech at some points in my life. So I know some people have experiences where they don't have access to speech for days at a time. 
for me, it's more like hours. So if I'm absolutely exhausted after work, I have no capacity left for speech whatsoever. So I then have to transition to AAC. So I use a text-to-speech app and I also use communication cards. And I'm at the minute developing my own communication cards on Etsy, which I'm really, really excited about. They're just so, so helpful. So sometimes just when I'm really overwhelmed, maybe, you know, I'm sort of on the verge of meltdown, my partner will come in and try and talk to me. And straight away, he's got a card in the face (laughs) that says, please give me some space. And then straight away, he knows it's a no talking time right now. I'm just going to give us some space. But yeah, it's, I think it's quite difficult as a person that's kind of been forced into speech my entire life to kind of now accept that and just, you know, go out in the community and use it. It's quite a big hurdle to get through. But yeah, I'm getting there with it. Have you had clients relate to this and like feel appreciative of someone recognizing that this happens to them and that it's okay? Yeah. Absolutely. It's been quite overwhelming, actually. So the autism assessments that I do, I've had a lot of clients say to me, oh, well, I've been told I've got selective mutism and we will kind of talk about it a little bit further. And actually their experiences really align with my own. It's not around anxiety so much. It's around capacity and just the amount of especially kind of teenagers that are hitting a burnout and kind of, you know, losing their access to speech at various points in their week. And they're like, oh, there's a name for it. This actually exists. And yeah, just giving them the text-to-speech app recommendations and them seeing me use communication cards. I think straight away they felt a lot more like it's an accessible thing for them. That's amazing. That's amazing that your own experiences are helping so many others. So thank you, Hat, so much. Where can people learn more about you and everything you have to offer and eventually where to find these talking cards? Yeah, there's a lot going on. My brain likes to take on a lot of projects at once. So I am mainly on Instagram as Hat Talks UK, but I'm kind of on various other platforms under that as well. It's just difficult to keep up with more than one. I'm on LinkedIn as Harriet Richardson. And yeah, I will be on Etsy soon with the Hat Talk shop. But yeah, I'm hoping to do that this weekend. But um, by the time this episode airs, most likely this shop is live. So go check it out. And if not, go check out on Instagram because I'm sure she'll be posting about it when it is live. So definitely. Yeah. So that is so, so exciting. Yeah. Thank you so much, Pat. I always end my episodes with a joke. Jokes are just a great way of building rapport in the speech room as you're waiting for speech kids to come in. It's a lot of language. What does a lemon say when it answers the phone? Oh, it's really going to test me. I'm thinking something lime. This is the wrong lime. No, but that would be a good one. Yellow. Oh, that is terrible. As my kids say, I have very bad dad jokes and I'm okay with that. My students tell me it all the time, but in the head, they're like, wait, do you have another joke? So like, okay, they kind of find it funny. So thank you so much, Hat. Thank you, everyone listening. Go check her out on Instagram. Check out her Etsy store because by the time this episode airs, I'm sure it's live. And I guarantee your students can benefit from it. And I'm sure they can benefit from some of these conversations that you can have with your students. So thank you so much for sharing your experience, sharing your expertise. Everyone go check her out. I'll put a link to the book in the show notes as well. And I'll put a link to all of her stuff in the show notes. Until next week, everyone, stay out of trouble.
Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. It means the world to me that you're tuning in each and every week and getting the jolt of inspiration you need. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at my website, speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.